We're going to start today in John 20. And we're going to look at and think about ten guys. There's an eleventh, but we don't know where he is. These are ten guys that had hopes and dreams. And they were wrapped up in a person. His name was Jesus Christ. They met him in their various ways, some while working, some in marketplace all around. They met him, but when he talked, what he said gave them life. It gave them hope. And they began to dream. They began to dream of a life of faith and, and, and believing that was real and could actually do something, not just be religious. And so they followed him for three and a half years. And they listened to him teach, and they listened to him challenge everything that they had commonly accepted. And they, they began to believe it, although they didn't really get it. He would say stuff, and they probably thought he was kind of wonky on occasion. But he would teach, and it would resonate truth, because that's what truth does. Even when we don't quite get it intellectually, our heart resonates with it. And they, they believed. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he, would, he had come from God, and he was going to save his people from this, their sins, and he was going to deliver their nation from its captivity, and, they were gonna, and even deliver their faith from its captivity to a broken and old system. But then their dream got arrested one night. And the same night he went through a trial and then he got beaten and then he went to another trial and then he got beaten and then he got condemned. Then he was beaten some more and then he was humiliated and then he was marched down the street like a common criminal. And then he was nailed to a cross and while being nailed to the cross he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he died on the cross. But his enemies didn't even trust his death, so they stabbed him just to make sure. I think he's dead. Let's stab him. So that was Friday. Yesterday, one of my sons and I were talking about the Holy Week. And he was like, Dad, there's Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. What's Saturday? And we kind of went back and forth. I said, well, it was sad. I guess it was sad der day. I know, I know. Not even a preacher joke, and it was lame. I know. <laughs> the young people are going, that's so stupid. Anyway. But it does show you the, even the kindness and the intent of the Father God who planned the payment for sin to hit on a Friday and to give his people a Sabbath day. To really think about it. The cost of sin. And what God did for them. So that was Saturday. And then Sunday came. And Mary Magdalene. She had been delivered of seven devils. That was like on her Facebook profile. Mary delivered of seven. Yay! <laughs> she went out to the tomb. Because she missed him. She was broken you got to remember, though, like Jesus spent months telling disciples, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to condemn me. They're going to kill me. It's going to be bad, and, but I'm going to be gone for a little while, then I'm coming back. I'm going to rise from the dead. And they were like, die. 
But Mary goes to the tomb that day, and she gets there, the stones rolled away, and she looks inside, and nothing's there. He's gone, and she starts to cry. One story tells us there were angels there that she saw, but, and, and, then, and she asked where he was. But then we find out that behind her, Jesus is there. She doesn't recognize him at first. She's broken. She's grieving. Where have you laid my master? I will go get him, she says. And then he says her name. And I'm telling you, when Jesus says your name, he gets your attention, right? He said Mary, and she got him, and the Bible says that he said to her, you got to stop clinging to me. i got to go see Dad. She Facebook messaged Peter and John, the rock and loved by Jesus. Just saw Jesus. He said, see you tonight. That got Peter and John running out to the grave. John gets there first. He was faster. But he stops at the door. He's kind of looking in. Peter, though, Peter's like me, brash, kind of dumb, flies in. They check it out. The tomb's empty. And they walk away scratching their heads. Months, Jesus is like, hey, here's what's going to happen. Going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, going to condemn me, going to kill me. But don't worry, I'll be back. They walk away, unsure. Mary knows. She heard her name. All day long, that tomb was empty. All day, Jesus was alive. Mary enjoyed it. But the disciples, now that's, that's where we come into their story. John 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. I'm going to kind of jump from past to present, so try and follow me. I'll do this all day long. Literally, we're going to be here till 6. <laughs> nervous laughter. I love to hear the nervous laughter. I'm leaving at 12. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> They're afraid. And, and in all fairness, the Sanhedrin is trying to end the legacy and the story and the, the possibility of riot over Jesus. Rome is trying to silence the chaos in Jerusalem over Jesus. So there are people who want them silenced. No argument there. But they're hiding in fear. And, and, and if I could jump to right now, present day, I think this is where the church is today. I think Christians are hiding in fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of what's going to happen in the world. We're afraid of how bad it's going to get. We're afraid we're going to lose freedom. We're afraid we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable. We just got the fear thing down. Okay? And it's okay because as we look at the ten disciples, they also had fear. And here's the thing that we got to connect to. They had fear, but they knew something, but it hadn't changed them yet. They knew Jesus was alive. They had a witness from Mary that Jesus was alive. They knew it, but they didn't believe it yet. And i got to wonder if that's what's wrong with the church today is we know stuff we don't believe. But anyway, we're in the story. The guys are there. They're terrified. They're looking just like a deacon's meeting. Oh, sorry, that's a different thing. <laughs> John 20, verse 19. Suddenly. And I, before I read on, Jesus does suddenly. Okay? Jesus does suddenly. He's all about suddenly. Suddenly. They're there. They're afraid. They're, they, you ever been in a group of people who are afraid and the echo chamber of fear starts and everybody's just getting more and more frightened? That's what's happening. 
okay? Jesus walks, suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Poof, there's Jesus. Where did he come from? And what does he say? Because Jesus knows that when he does suddenly, people freak out. So he says, peace be unto you is our translation, but he probably just said something that sounded like peace to you. And the word peace is worthy of a study, but I don't have time to get into it now. There's a lot there. Peace to you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy. They knew Jesus was alive. All day they had the information. All day they had the facts. All day they had the knowledge. But on Sunday night, they had the revelation. On Sunday night, they moved from knowing to believing. And what was the difference? They moved from fear to joy. Is that where you are? Before I go any further, is that where you are? Are you in a place of fear right now? Well, we are called to a place of joy. Jesus did not die on a cross and raise from the dead three days later so we could live in terror. But he rose so that we could live and have, it, have life more abundant. Amen? Amen? So, Jesus Christ shows up and what they knew, they believed. I just want to give you a little lesson before I go on. Where there is no hope in your life, it's probably because there's no revelation. And so those places of fear, that's what we need to ask the Father for, is Him to reveal Jesus to us in those moments. Maybe even if we could hear our name called from the lips of Jesus, that would be a good thing. So Jesus is alive. Verse 20, uh, 21, going on, and again Jesus said to them, because they were all excited now. I mean, they were scared, then they were freaked out, and now they're pumped. All right. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You hear this? As the Father has so I'm sending you. Then verse 22, then he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, verse 21, 22. We don't have Pentecost until much later, but we have a place where the Holy Spirit is in them and with them in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. But we don't get the Holy Spirit on them until Acts chapter 2. But that's another sermon. But I threw it out there so you like all week go like, hey, i got to look that up. So look that up. Verse 23. Then Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. What's Jesus doing? He's sending them out. He gave them a truth. I'm alive. He gave them a revelation. I'm here with you. And then he gave them a mission. Go and forgive. Go and share. Go and tell them about me. So they have this move from revelation to mission. That's good. So let's move into this today. First, let's talk about the fact that Jesus is alive. Best argument I've got for the resurrection. And there are many. I, I, I need to clarify that. There are many evidences for Jesus Christ's resurrection. But to me, my favorite, maybe it's not the best evidence, maybe it's just my favorite. Okay, just go with me, all right? Is the fact that you have 10, well, 11, scaredy, fraidy guys who are hiding behind closed doors that all of a sudden they move from terror to fearlessness. 
These guys step out in, in a real faith, and, and they, they give their lives for Jesus Christ. Who does that for a corpse? I Really? I mean, who goes out and... and Oh, anyway, it's just crazy to me. So the fact, so the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 6, we, we say with confidence, the Lord's my helper, so I, can, I will have no fear what mere people can do to me. I love that verse. wanted to share it with you. I have no fear what mere people can do to me because that's how the disciples lived the rest of their life. That night, that Sunday during the day, they, they spent in a, a room hiding out afraid. And from that day forward, especially after Acts 2, they gave their lives. They didn't care anymore. They didn't need money to go on a mission trip. They didn't need support to get anywhere. They, they didn't care. I mean, if the, if the government said, hey, it's against the law to preach the gospel, they still preach the gospel. They still told people about Jesus Christ. If the government said, hey, if you do this, we'll stone you, slash beat you, slash throw you in prison, they did not care. They were like, hey, that's cool. Whatever you got to do, man, but I'm going to tell people about Jesus Christ. Until you kill me, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. That's how they lived the rest of their lives. Nobody does that for a corpse, man. Tucker, I love you, but if you're dead, I'm not going to go out and preach your gospel, okay? I'm just, it's not going to happen. And you're, you know, I think Jesus probably looked better than you too, but that's just another thing. <sighs> they live without fear, and then they helped others. And i got to give you this passage in Matthew 10, which was long before Jesus died and went to heaven, but I, we really need to read the commissions of Christ as a church. One of the biggest things that I'm working on in my heart right now is a simple reality that Jesus discipled people in, in the miraculous. In, John, in Matthew 10, 7, he says, Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy. Cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. And that's what they did. They changed the world. They went out and they gave freely. What, what does that mean? I mean what do you, you read something like that and say, man, that's off the hook. Think about Peter, okay? Acts, I think it's chapter 4. That could be another one, I don't know. Somewhere in Acts. He's going to the temple. There's a lame guy out there begging for money. And he asks Peter for some, some alms, some cash, something. Peter looks at him and says, um, I don't have any money. Silver and gold have I none is what one translation says. But he says, what I have, I give to you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? God didn't give me money. But here's what he did give me. And so I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to give what I've, what I've received freely. I'm going to give freely. So not part of the message, kind of an aside. Maybe there's lack in our lives because we haven't learned to give away yet. Maybe once we learn to give freely, we also experience the abundance that comes with that. But that's what the disciples did. They came and they gave, and they gave what the Father gave to them. They gave healing. They helped people. They, rose, they raised people up. They did all these things, and, and the most amazing things. And they weren't afraid anymore. And if I had a goal for today, it would be this. To move us from fear to fearless. To move us from hiding in our upper room behind our stained glass and out into a community that's broken and needs healing and restored. But how's that going to happen? Well, I think first thing we've got to do is we've got to ask a question. Would I really like to live? Would I like to live? Crazy idea, huh? You know, and a lot of folks like, right, that's a dumb question. I like living. It's okay. 
The problem is we define life way too simply. We think being on the right side of the dirt, the right side of the grass, that's alive. As long as I'm not, I woke up this morning, my feet hit the floor, I'm alive, thank God. Yeah, because that's what Jesus did. You see what I'm saying? We need to elevate our understanding of what life is. We need to, to kill this negative oh, whining. Oh, no, that's not right. The, 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 this complaining, like, things we say like, oh, things will never be any better. Oh, I'll just settle. I was talking to the boys the other day, or I think it was Creed, and he was talking about people in retail and how just listening to people talk. And I just want you to know that my family, we are people watchers. If you go to Walmart in your pajamas and your house shoes and I see you, the jokes we'll be telling ourselves are awesome. And they're about you. But we live in a world that is just filled with anger and complaining and fighting. And we were just talking about how just out in the public you will hear people arguing with each other, just back and forth. It's just a broken, well, it's a groaning world. It's groaning for something more. But that's not living. That's not living. Surviving until you die is not living. And that's what we need to remember as the church of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die on a cross so we get to survive until we die. Man, every person in this room needs a reason to live. What is living? What is living? Well, it's a few things I think living is. I think living is no condemnation. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no... There, let me try that again. I just washed my tongue, can't do a thing with it. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you, has freed you, has freed you, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You're free. There's no condemnation on your life. That's living. But that's not experience. That's not what most of us feel. In fact, every person born on this planet is born under a feeling and a sense of condemnation and judgment. It's why we're so hard on each other. It's why we judge other people so much. We're just trying to elevate ourselves a little bit above them. Because we feel so much guilt and so much shame. And I'm here to tell you, that's not living. Living your life in guilt and shame, not living. So if that's where you're at today, and you've got sinful patterns in your life and those kind of things, and you are just living under guilt and shame, you're not alive yet. That's not life. Life is no condemnation. Life is righteousness. Life is doing the right thing. No matter, without permission. Without permission. Do you understand that? That Jesus Christ, him going to the cross, suffering the condemnation, the accusation, he didn't need anybody's permission to do the right thing. He just did it. That's what righteousness is. It's doing the right thing, whether it's legal or not. Whether someone says you can or not, that's freedom. That's living, but so many of us, we get caught in these sinful patterns of life, believing the lies of the world, living in ways that are bringing continued condemnation on our own hearts, and you're not alive yet if you can't do right. Life is also understanding. Jesus said in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. This is, this is life. It's, it's knowing and, 
excuse me, actually understanding a few things. Jesus went on to say in John 17, 3, this is the way to have eternal life. So if you came today like, how do you live forever? I got the secret. Ready? To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. To know God. Think about this, guys. Not to know about God. A lot of people know about God but don't know him. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus came to give us real life, and real life is understanding and actually coming to know God, having a real relationship with God. Jesus Christ died on a cross not just to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you, to bring Christ into you. That's the story. So maybe your heart's crying out. How do I know God? That's a good place. That desperation. Man, I was just thinking earlier about how there's so many seasons in my life where I've got to a place where I've just said, God, I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I just got to know you. I don't care what that is or what that looks like. It's kind of funny, though, because God really likes making me look stupid, but that's another story. <laughs> he really isn't concerned about my dignity. Let me put it that way. We'll come back to that later. First John chapter 5, verse 20, though, Jesus said, And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding, so that we can know the true God and know we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God, and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Here's how you know God. Peel away all that pride. Peel away all that distraction. And, and focus your heart and your energies and wait on God. Sit there and before Him and go, God, I want to know you, and then wait for Him to show up. You know God's everywhere, right? You know him showing up really isn't his problem. Because he's everywhere. Him showing up is our awareness of him. And so living is understanding, is coming to know God. It's actually, it's also coming to know the kingdom. You spent your whole life learning how the rules and things work on this earth. And now as a Christian, you're not from here anymore. Does that make sense? You're from heaven, and now it's time to learn how things work from the kingdom, from heaven, because that was what we're supposed to declare. The kingdom of heaven is near. Well, hey, man, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's all around us. It's in you. Oh, that's good. we got to start learning that. So, yeah, life is understanding. Life is no condemnation. Life is, is understanding. There's another one I missed, but we'll move on. Life is righteousness. Thank you. She's my, what are you? Note taker. Yeah. She's awesome. I'm telling you, 30, almost 32 years married to me, that's a lot of suffering. She could have been out of jail like 10 years ago. Life is also purpose. Paul said to the Philippian church, the Christians at Philippi, and I'll know that you're standing together, that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. The church, man, I don't know how you feel about her, but she's God's plan to proclaim Christ to the world. We, we have a purpose together. 
to make Christ known, to give people access to Jesus Christ. We'll get to that at the end of the service, but I'm just saying, if your life is under condemnation and you can't do the right thing, you're stuck in sinful patterns, you don't know who God is, you're struggling understanding things about God and the kingdom, and you don't have a purpose that has anything to do with Him, you're not alive yet. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to say to you, live! Have a higher standard of living than just merely surviving until you die. Have a higher standard of faith. It's like, well, it's really rough down here, brother, but at least we're going to go to heaven when we die. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to rant. You know what's going to happen? We're going to get to heaven, and Jesus Christ is going to look at us and say, I put in you all the power to totally change that mess down there, and you waited until you died to get to heaven. You could have had heaven in you any day. Yeah, I'll move on. That wasn't popular. (laughs) We're here for a reason, and you are not the reason. Not trying to be rude, just trying to be straight. We're here for the reason, and it ain't you. It ain't me either. We need to wake up to that reality and start living. Okay, so let's start in the negative. How can we start living? Well, let's start with some don'ts. I know you love those, right? <laughs> love when someone tells you not what not to do. Well, these might work for you. First, don't be shaped by the world. What does that mean? Most of you, most of us, most people are getting their theology from TV, books, Oprah. I don't know. I don't know where, I'll be honest with you, I usually am a pretty kind guy. I try to be easy to get along with, and I like to be kind to people. But some of the things I hear people believe about God, I really do want to slap them. It's like, where did you get that from? Let me knock that out of your head. Jeez. Say, Michael, you're being harsh this morning. Nah, you just don't know me that well, actually. (laughs) Actually being kind of nice. But anyway, so... um, don't, so don't be shaped by the world. That, that means, guys, your ideas on what's sin and what's not, they can't come from the world because the world doesn't know. Do you know what the world does? The world takes your sin, and it can't do anything with it. It can't forgive it. It can't cleanse it. It can't remove it, and it can't free you from it. So since it has no other options, what it does is it labels you with the identity of it. And so you're struggling with addiction. That's just a sin. That's an attack on you. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. Amen. So we got to stop letting the world tell us that our sin is our identity. Do you hear that? So you can apply that to your sin. I could drag out all kinds of sins in this room make everyone feel awkward, but I'm not going to. Your sin is not who you are, but the world will tell you that it is. And you can't let that shape you. The Bible says in Colossians 2.8, don't let anyone capture you. Don't let anyone capture you. Do you get Paul's language here? Does it sound a bit extreme to you? It should. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So don't let the world shape you. The logic of the world is not the logic of the kingdom. You're not from here. Earthly logic don't apply. Amen? Amen? That's pretty exciting. I think Earthly logic doesn't apply. Okay, don't be shaped by the world. Don't let anyone condemn your worship. That's what Paul gets into in Colossians chapter 2. By the way, this, this whole don't be part is based on Colossians chapter 2. 
so you can read it when you get home and be greatly encouraged. Don't let the world condemn your worship. Don't let anyone condemn your worship. So I grew up independent, fundamental, hating pretty much everybody else Baptist. <laughs> they didn't mean it that way, but that was how I took it maybe. Uh, maybe they did. I don't know. That's another story. So I got a lot of Baptists to get over. And Jesus has been taking me down this road where I've been on my knees a lot saying, God, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who you are. I just want to know who you are. So a couple years ago, I went to this very charismatic church in Laramie, the Rock Church. A lot of fun. But they had worship. Now, Steve is being real tame. I know he could release and we could have like an hour worship service and go insane, but he's been tame. So they had an hour-long worship service, and I was doing okay. My inner Baptist was quivering. <laughs> doing all right. Until the streamer ladies came out. You know what I'm talking about? All the charismatics in the room know exactly who the streamer ladies are. <laughs> they come to church with a roll of streamers, and they're per somewhere. I don't know where they keep it, because I never see it until they're out around the auditorium. <laughs> But man, they were worshiping. It was good. The band was hot. It was lit. It was great. And all of a sudden, here they come, and the streamers are flying around, and they're dancing and worshiping the Lord. And my inner Baptist came on. <laughs> they're just throwing attention to themselves. You've heard those voices of condemnation, right? Sometimes it takes a while to beat that guy down, let that guy go. Remember, he's nailed to a cross. But nonetheless, so I'm sitting there letting... My judgment and my bad attitude ruined the worship for me. Finally, I heard the father. He said, dude. Sometimes God sounds like Carrie. He's not here at the moment, but anyway. He said, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, Lord, they're just drawing attention themselves. I was, had my full-on judgmental attitude. He said, you're being judgmental, Michael. That's not for you. So here's what I'm, I told you that story to tell you this. Some of you guys, you get close to God and God gets all your attention when you sit down quietly somewhere and you crack open a Bible and God gets your attention. And some of you guys, the music starts playing and you stand there and, and you just enjoy the music and you don't even sing. And some of you do. Some of you sing. Some of you sing badly and you don't care. Amen. <laughs> and some of you, oh my goodness, some of you know the answer so you raise your hand to let everybody know. And you start worshiping with your hand up, and some of you know both the answer twice, you know. Some of you wash the windows, and some of you wax on and wax off. And, <laughs> and some of you get the streamers out, and you run around, and you know what? I don't care. If God's got all your attention, no one can judge that. Yeah. By the way, let me throw something else at you, okay? While I'm there, while we're in that moment. It doesn't matter if it is to draw attention to yourself. Has God ever gotten your attention when you were all about you? All the time. Don't let anyone condemn your worship. Amen. That goes every way. Don't condemn the person who's quiet. Don't condemn the dancer. <clears throat> Try not to get knocked over, but don't condemn them. <laughs> Whatever it takes for God to have all your attention, do that. Don't let your worship be condemned and don't let your life be condemned life is for jesus do you understand that life is for jesus everything everything is worship it's the western mind that's twisted the truth on that 
that separated the sacred from the holy. The Hebrew mind did not understand that at all. The Hebrew mind understood that whether you were selling camels or in the synagogue, it was all worship. And that's something we need to understand. Whether you are working on the job, whether it's the oil field or down in a mine or running a business, it's all for the glory of the Lord. When we as Christians get our heads wrapped around that and begin to realize that we can take Christ into any place that we work. Now, I realize some of you are in settings that there, there are laws and things that regulate that. But you know what I know about Christians? They will find a way to shine. You will find a way to shine. So do that, okay? So don't let the world shape you. Don't let it condemn you. Don't let it capture you. Another thing, don't get stuck in your past. You're not the sum of your highs and lows. You're, you're not the sum of your worst mistakes. You're not what you've done. So don't get stuck in that. You realize a baby would never walk if he allowed his past to define him. Do you understand that? And we need to realize that God has a different vision for us. God sees something over us that's glorious and beautiful. You do know when he looks at you, he sees you as perfect, right? He can see to the day. He can see to the day. You know, oh, this is good. He, he can see to the day that you're standing in front of him, and he gets to put his arm on you and say, you did a good job. I'm so glad you're back. Man, your father wants to be with you. So don't let what you've done your past define you. Don't get stuck in that. Let what God says about you define you. This is why Christians need to be in the Word. We need to learn what God says about us. Amen? Amen. Don't get stuck in your past. Third, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Christians should not fear. Seriously, what do you have to fear? Nothing. Okay, Leonard up here makes me mad. I get a gun, I shoot him in the head. What's the first thing that's going to happen? Jesus! He's going to go crazy! Right in the presence of God! I did him a favor! I'm not doing that. I don't think that's how I meant it, but anyway, it's pretty funny. I'm sorry, Leonard. I didn't mean it that way. My, my point is, what do we have to fear? Nothing. Christians don't die, we life. We go straight in the presence of God. We have nothing to fear. That's why the disciples were like, hey man, we're going to tell them about Jesus until they kill us. We don't care. Because when they do that, they just send us to Jesus. So don't be afraid of any of those kinds of things. Don't be shaped by the world stuck in the past. Don't be afraid. Nothing to fear. What do you do? Number one, learn Jesus. Learn Jesus. You don't need the latest book, dude. The only book you need was finalized about 1,700 years ago. Um, you don't need the next conference, the next experience. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Listen to this. I love the language here. Let your roots grow down into Jesus. And let your lives be built on Jesus. And then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You know, I, th my opinion, this, this is kind of my opinion, and as you know, I got a couple of them. I think the church needs to get back in the Gospels. 
I think we got to get back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Paul. Love Paul's revelation. I can, I can chew on some serious Romans. I like Hebrews. I, I, I mean, there's some great stuff there. But all of that, you know, Acts, the actions of Jesus in the church, Romans is Paul, Paul and Peter and John, all those guys begin to break down and try and interpret or, or tra- translate for us what Jesus did and what he meant. But we need to get back to source material. We need to get back down to Jesus Christ who called disciples, said, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and then started going out and raising people from the dead and healing the sick. We need to get our head in those stories. We need to wrestle with Jesus. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? I mean, we need to read the Gospel of John where Jesus says for like almost 22 chapters, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. And that John chapter 6, where Jesus says, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can't have eternal life. We need to read that. And you're sitting there going, that sounds weird. Jesus is off the hook, man. And, and we, the church, we don't know. Because we're not reading it. We're not letting it soak into us. We're letting pastors tell us. By the way, just in case you're confused on this, I'm not asking you to follow me. The answer is Jesus. I am also a sheep. I might be an extra dumb sheep, so God can just like show you what he can do. But the, thanks, honey. Anyway, <laughs> he got me back. I just got me back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, that just rolled right out. If anyone knows, she would know. Poor thing. Learn Jesus. But why learn Jesus? This is important. Why learn Jesus? Because you would make a terrible mistake if your faith were just knowledge of what Jesus taught and did. Because that's where so many people are today. They know a lot about the Bible. And they know a lot about Jesus. And they know a lot about what he taught. And so it's so important that our discipleship become not just learning, but believing. The whole point of following Christ is to learn to believe as he believed. Jesus said to Jairus, he said, don't be afraid, just have faith. This is what discipleship's about. It's about believing as Jesus believed. Why? Why does this matter? If you approach your faith like the majority of Christians today, it doesn't. Because the majority of Christians today are just going to church, get them a little spirit shot to get them through the week so they can do their own thing, and you don't need the miraculous for that. But if you're going to do things that are going to turn the world around and upside down, you need God for that. You need to believe like Jesus believed. I'm standing in a room right now full of people who have all the potential to turn the world, the world upside down. Definitely this city. Their power is in this room. Why why is the power in this room? A guy named Jesus had a public ministry that was three and a half years long, and in that three and a half years, he turned the nation of Israel on its ear. One guy. 
That guy ascended to heaven, high-fived the Holy Spirit on his way back. The Holy Spirit came and went into every one of those believers. And now, through the Holy Spirit, the Son of God lives in every single Christian. Last count, two billion on the planet Earth. I want to know why the world's not on its ear yet. Why well, it's not upside down. You see what I'm saying? If we want to, we want to change things, we've got to start believing like Jesus Christ believed. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3, and I'm almost done. I know you're going, he's probably going to go forever. Yep. Anyway, 1 John 3, 7. Children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what's right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning, but... The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. What's that have to do with me, Michael? Jesus said, as my Father sent me, I'm sending you. Whoever you forgive is forgiven. Whoever you don't forgive is not forgiven. You go. And he told them, as he sent them out, that he would be with them always. He would come and live within them. What was the Son of God sent to do? Destroy hell. What are you sent to do? Watch Netflix? <laughs> Scroll Facebook? Save a lot and retire? Survive until you die? I wouldn't be excited about the average Christianity that's promoted today either. But I'm very excited about a faith that can change the world, that can get addicts off the street, that can get marriages totally restored and healed. A faith that's present out there that can help young lives never goof up in the way that I did. What's it going to take to get there? Just some people who are willing to learn who Jesus was and is and start being a little bit crazy or a lot and start believing as Jesus believed. You realize Jesus Christ believed he could be born on this earth, have a mere three and a half year ministry, and save the world. The world. Amen. The world. Amen. That's what he believed. Amen. What do you believe? You don't want to just survive, you want to live. Let's pray. Lord, you're amazing. You're amazing. Corruption tried to rot you in the tomb. Death tried to keep you there. You didn't care. <laughs> As you said to your disciples, I will lay it down, and when it's time, I will take it again. I love the way you taunt the enemy. I love how much you believe, Jesus. Lord, the world needs the kingdom. The world needs Jesus to show up. Lord, the world needs this crazy Jewish rabbi to walk the streets and love people again. We need him in the mines and in the schools. 
We need Him in our government, on our streets, and in our businesses. We need Him on the road. Lord, we need Jesus everywhere. I pray that you would raise up men and women that start to believe. Thank you. Thank you that when you rose again, you showed us how to live. Thank you for the cross. Hallelujah. Thank God for our sins. Lord, teach us to live from the tomb. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.